So our reading this morning is Matthew 7, verses 13 to 20. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, those that enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Good morning. You can hear me? This is okay? Yeah? Yeah, close enough. Okay, no, it's so good to be here with you this morning. This is actually not our first time in Foundation. Ash and I were here in 2019, 20. It was in the middle of COVID, I think, anyway, and we were in the community centre off by Hackamore, and we were all sitting in separate seats and couldn't go anywhere near each other, and there's no song worship, and, and thank the Lord that that has changed. Um, yeah, I just want to thank Dave and Marion and the leadership team here for inviting us this morning. It's so good to be back. Uh, we really enjoyed it, uh, the number of weeks that we spent with you uh, back in 2020. And we come back with a plus one, with a little baby Ray, considerably more tireder uh, than we used to be, but uh, filled with joy. And uh, no doubt she'll uh, shout and scream throughout this. Uh, so just try and ignore. But no, let's pray together uh, before I begin. Father, I thank you for your word that has so, been so graciously given to us. As we come together today as a community in Christ, we ask that you transform our very hearts, reveal more of yourself to us. Father, enlighten our hearts to the very hope that you have called us. Amen. Amen. Never before in human history have we been faced with so many choices. And therefore, it has never been so hard to make a decision. Scientists have suggested that the average person makes around 35,000 choices a day. This could be to, from eating breakfast to where to sit in church to, to even whether or not to come to church. And all you have to do is actually to walk into your nearest supermarket to actually have a visual picture of the amount of choices that we have available to us. Take the toothpaste aisle, right? You walk into Tesco's, into the toothpaste aisle, and there's hundreds of different types of toothpaste. It all promises different things, fresher breath, whiter teeth, better smile. And then at the corner, there's this weird toothpaste. It's like black. I don't know if you've seen it before. I don't know if anyone's ever used it. Does anyone ever use this? Yeah, this psychopath. Like, what is that about? Like, black toothpaste. Why would you ever want black toothpaste? Um, I've, all, I've recently become a father, as I mentioned before, as she sits and smiles at me. I have never been faced with more choice. Which formula to use? Which parenting style? Which nappies to buy? There's something 5,000 different types of nappies. What clothes to wear? What buggies to buy? There's so much choice. We're also faced with so much choice about how we should live our lives. In Buddhism, the suggestion is that we have to live our lives in a cycle of suffering and rebirth. And that one day we can face enlightenment called nirvana and escape the cycle forever if just if we do some things and don't do some others islam suggests that we have to live our life in full submission to allah and if we do some things and abstain from others we may be accepted 
into paradise. And then we turn to the secular world. It says, be yourself, be your authentic self, be whatever you want to be, and you'll be happy. You are the center of your life. Even as Christians, we are faced with multiple choices. Which church to go to? Which denomination to attend? Which theology do we attest to believe in? There's different ways to live our Christian life. There's some suggest that all you have to do is put up your hand in an altar call, say a quick prayer, and go on and live your life as you are. You don't have to change your life. You don't have to do anything else to get into heaven. All you have to do is go to church every Sunday, and that is it. You can continue to live your life for yourself as you did before. You don't really need to follow what the Bible says. Surely the verses like deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow him, that doesn't apply to me. Why should I have to do anything? In a world filled with choice, a world filled with different ways to live our lives, can we really pick and choose what we believe and what we can ignore? What is the true way to live our lives? Jesus emphatically answers this in the verses that we are looking at today. In Matthew 7, 13 to 20, we come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the, of the Mount, the beginning of the conclusion. In the previous two chapters, Jesus has given his countercultural manifesto. He's explained to us how we should live our lives as a Christian on earth. He contrasts a Christian life with a non-Christian life. And this is the beginning of his conclusion. As humans, we love choice. We love the ability to choose between a variety of options. We don't want to be limited. But Jesus, what Jesus is saying in these verses we are looking at this morning is that there's only one real choice to make between two distinct possibilities. Verse 13 reads, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's break these few verses down together this morning. According to Jesus, there is two ways, hard and easy, two gates, broad and narrow, trodden by two crowds, large and small, ending in two destinations, destruction or life. Two gates, two ways, two crowds, two destinations. We have hundreds of choices of toothpaste, many ways where we could potentially live our lives. But Jesus is saying there is only one true way, one choice that really matters between two possibilities, destruction or life. Jesus, in the Sermon of the Mount, has outlined his manifesto. Now here, Jesus is saying, what are you going to do about it? You've listened to me preach. I've prepared a sermon what are you now going to do about it? There's no point in following me. There's no point in listening. There's no point in clapping your hands after the Sermon on the Mount. What are you actually going to do about it now? This is what he's saying to his disciples. He doesn't want praise. He doesn't want a round of applause. He wants action. And Jesus uses this illustration in these verses to get his points across. Imagine you get up now and walk out. You go onto the Belmont Road and you turn right and you're walking down the road and you're faced with two gates. You can only go in one or the other. The one on the left is wide, it's broad, and lots of people are going down that gate. Everyone is going in it. It's easy. That's where 
the desirable place to go. And then on the right, there's this other gate. It's very narrow. It starts off narrow, and the path behind it is narrow and continues to be narrow. And there's only one person going through that at a time. The crowd's not going there. It's a single person through the gate at each moment. The gates lead to different locations. The one on the left leads to destruction, and the one on the right to life. Everyone in this room and everyone in the world has this choice to make. The narrow gate or the broad gate. You cannot sit in the middle. Which one will you choose? Which one will you choose? I want to pull out two things from these verses. The first thing is Christ is the only way through the narrow gate. And the second, there is a cost to enter the narrow gate. Christ is the only way through the narrow gate. And there is a cost to enter the narrow gate. The first one. So Christ is the only way to enter, or sorry, the only way through the narrow gate. So the narrow gate is the way to heaven. The verb enter at the start of these verses is the same word as used in Matthew 5.20, which talks about the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus wants us to enter here. And Jesus answers the question of which gate we should choose straight away. He doesn't tease us. He doesn't give us a riddle or a parable in these instances. He says, enter through the narrow gate. The narrow gate is the gate he wants us to choose. And Jesus here is commanding his disciples to enter. It is the imperative. It is a command. We are not to disobey this command. He says, enter the narrow gate. We are not to disobey this. And if we do disobey this, he gives us the outcome. Destruction. The gate is narrow because it is the only, the, the only way through it. There's only one way through it. And this is Christ alone. There is no other way through the gate except in Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. There is no hope in heaven for those who do not believe the gospel. Jesus is saying, the choice is yours here, compliance or rebellion. We cannot be granted access through the gate, through Buddhism or Islam, or being a good person or simply attending church. The world will tell you you can live your life in any way. But Jesus here is saying there's only true way, one true way. The key to accessing the narrow gate is a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Number two, there is a cost to enter the narrow gate. If you are a Christian, the path to follow Jesus is narrow from the start. Before you go down the narrow path, you have to go through the narrow gate. It is by definition narrow. It is restricting. So first thing, you must enter it alone. It is not about joining an organization or joining a church. It's not a group activity or decision. You and only you can enter through the narrow gate. The gate is personal. And in order to do this, you may need to break away from the crowd. In human history, following Christ has never been popular. And it still isn't today. Human relationships may need to be set aside. You cannot just follow the crowd. This is a personal decision. Secondly, there is a personal cost 
to entering the narrow gate. Imagine the narrow gate is a turnstile, right? You cannot get through the turnstile with all your baggage on your back. Imagine you're throwing on your suitcases, bringing your rucksacks with you, and you get to a small turnstile. I always picture it like going into a football match, and you can't get through it. You head off it, you can't get through it, you're stuck. You won't fit through. In Matthew 10, 17 to 27, we see the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus asks, sorry, he asks Jesus this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what the rich young ruler is asking here is, what shall I do to get through the narrow gate? You see, this man had followed the law. He hadn't murdered. He hadn't committed adultery. He hadn't stolen. He felt like he deserved to go to heaven. And Jesus responds to this question by saying this, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. We read on that the rich young ruler was dismayed by this request. He was rich, he had lots of property, and he just didn't want to give it up. The rich young ruler was carrying baggage, and it was stopping him getting through the turnstile. Jesus here isn't saying that we can't have possessions, that we can't have a house or money. It's the rich young ruler's idolatry that was the problem. It was his view towards his possessions. He wasn't prepared to give up his richness, his possessions, and bear the cost that following Christ takes. To enter the narrow gate, you have to surrender parts of you. You have to leave your self, old self behind, and this can be hard. Luke 9, 23 to 24 says this, And he, Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If we really want to come into this way of life, we have to leave our self outside. Our self is our fallen nature, our depravity, our sin. It's as if there's a sign at the narrow gate that says, leave yourself outside. Leave yourself outside. Now, I'm not obviously suggesting that we have to be perfect to come to Christ. I'm not suggesting that once we become the Christ that we don't sin. But our sinful self has no place in the kingdom of God. There is a personal cost to our salvation. We have to turn away from our pride and cling to Christ, deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We need to say goodbye to our old way of living. We are not the center of our lives anymore. We have a new way to live. A life fully committed to living Christ-like lives visibly be displayed by obedience to the Holy Scripture. Death to us, alive in Christ. Now, imagine, right, there's a lot of imagination going on this morning. Imagine, right, you're on the narrow path, okay? It's tight, it's restricting, it can be hard. And you look down as if it was a valley, and you look down into the valley, and there's the broad way. And everyone is just living their lives how they want to. They spend their money how they want. They do with their time whatever they want. They seem to be happy. They're partying. Why on earth would I want to be on the narrow path? 
Why would I not want to jump down there, slide down the hill into the valley and join them on the broad way? Why would I do that? I've just said you have to surrender a part of you. You have to surrender yourself. It can be hard. Why would I want to do this? There are two reasons. The first is this. Earthly pleasures cannot truly satisfy the desires of our hearts. Earthly pleasures cannot truly satisfy the desire of our hearts. God revealed himself to me um, through his grace, and I was saved five years ago on the 1st of April 2018. And I realized recently that's April Fool's Day, so <laughs> I hope uh, it wasn't a wee trick or anything that uh, uh, he's not pulled the wool over my eyes. But uh, yeah, before that date, I lived my life fully on the broad way. I just did what I want whenever I wanted. I partied, I jumped from relationship to relationship, I spent my money on holidays, I chased after money and possessions. I lived how the world told me to. The world told me if I did these things, I would be happy. So I ran after those things. It never worked. I always wanted more. The world could not satisfy me. Augustine of Hippo and his Confessions writes this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are all part of God's creation. We are created to be in relationship with God, and the fall has corrupted this, but our hearts still desire to draw close to him. Those on the broad way are trying to fulfill this desire in their hearts with money, sex, status, pride. It can never be enough. They are trying to fulfill a heavenly desire with an earthly pleasure. Ultimately, we can only find true rest for our hearts through going through the narrow gate and walking the narrow path. When I became a Christian, my life wasn't easy. I lost friends. I still have my struggles, as we all do. But I found what my heart was truly searching for, Christ. The second reason is the destination The second reason to stay on the narrow path is where the paths lead to. You might say, I want to stay on the broad way. I know what you're saying, but it's easy. You've just told me the narrow way costs something. I have to surrender and suffer. But you forget the destination. You forget the destination. We read the narrow path leads to life, and the broad way leads to destruction. Heaven or hell, life or death. In the short term, the Broadway looks pretty attractive, but not in the long term. No one advertises hell. We don't need, we need to understand delayed gratification. We find it hard as humans to make a decision today that we don't see the benefits with straight away. I love CrossFit, right? I don't know if many people know what CrossFit is, but I'll explain to you. It's this big, I'm going to be talking about CrossFit for the next like 25 minutes, so just bear with me. So CrossFit in a way is this this busy workout regime with gymnastics, powerlifting. It's all, yeah, it's great. People think it's a cult. It's not a cult. It's great. But uh, I don't get fitter overnight. Every day I go in the morning, it's cold, it's wet, try and talk myself out of it, but you keep going. 
but you don't really see any benefit from it. You don't get fitter overnight. It takes time. You have to keep going. But once you keep going and you don't give up on the workout, you get a sense of achievement. You feel better and you improve slowly. There's this idea of delayed gratification and why people go to the gym, why people train. When toddlers are faced with a choice between eating one sweet now or five in five minutes, they always choose one sweet. They want what they want now, straight away. We want to satisfy our desires in the moment. We are so focused on what affects us now rather than eternity. We need to have a kingdom mindset focused on the glorious eternity with Christ. We need to have a kingdom focused on the glorious eternity with Christ. Jesus then moves on um, in these verses uh, to verse 15. It says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So a prophet here is someone who could speak directly, who, who could speak directly with God and could therefore say, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Therefore, a false prophet was someone who could falsely, falsely claim to speak the name of God. There is lots of scholarly speculation on who Jesus is trying to address in these verses, but Jesus doesn't tell us. But what he is referring to, he's referring to people who falsely teach the word of God, people who lead those away from God with a false gospel. These people are difficult to recognize. Jesus describes them as wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, in first century Palestine, the wolf was the natural enemy of the sheep. And the sheep is entirely defensive, defenseless against it. Like, a sheep really is just a big blob, right? Isn't it? Like, it's a walking cloud. Like, it just is the most harmless creature. Like, if anyone could like, come up with a harmless creature, it has to be a sheep. Like, what harm can it do? At the start of January, right, Ashley broke both her arms doing CrossFit. Still recommend doing it, but she broke both her arms, right? Broke her wrists, gone. And uh, yeah, I uh, had to take time off work. I had a four-month baby and a, a broken wife, and it was very, very difficult. And yes, I am a hero. I survived. It was great. But anyway, the point is, we went, we went up north for a while and stayed in a cottage uh, up north, and we went for this hike. I threw uh, Rhea, the baby, on my back, and we went for this, uh, this walk up this uh, kind of cliff face. And uh, we got to the top, and we noticed this line of sheep. And if you imagine, the cliff is here, the fence is here, and these sheep are just like along the cliff. And we have to walk along the path, which is right beside where the sheep are and where the cliff is. And we were very scared because we were worried the sheep, the sheep are stupid as well. They're really stupid blobs. They, they would just run away from us and jump off the cliff. So we had to kind of really slowly climb along the path. But then we got to this part, and they didn't fall off. They ran away, and then they came back, and they were quite scared. But we jumped over, and actually turned out we had to walk through the sheep. We climbed a fence, and there we were in the sheep's field before we got to the next part. And Ashley was really scared of the sheep, right? Sheep are harmless. 
They're floating, walking clouds, and they really are harmless. But Ashley is a city girl, and she saw these sheep, and she saw their teeth, and she was like, these things are going to attack me. Apparently, they have human teeth, so that's why they're scary. But anyway, we survived. We weren't eaten by sheep, and now we're here this morning. But my point is this. What Jesus is saying here, and it would be lost on Ashley because she's so scared of sheep, but she's saying here that these people, the false prophets, are wolves pretending to be sheep. They appear harmless on the surface, but they are dangerous and deceptive in nature. They muddle or dilute the gospel so that it's harder for seekers to get through the narrow gate. False teaching is referred to in a number of occasions in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul writes about it on a number of occasions. It is still important today. The teaching that Jesus is addressing here isn't anti-Christian teaching. It's not Islam. It's not Buddhism. It's not a different religion. It is Christian teachers or people masquerading as Christian teachers teaching a false gospel. It could be the world of faith movement or the prosperity gospel. These are people who preach the Bible on Sundays, but yet are out for their own gain at the expense of others. They may appear on the surface to be Bible-believing Christians, but under the surface they are ravenous wolves. How can we tell the difference? Thankfully, Jesus answers this. He doesn't leave us hanging. He answers it straight away. He says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. The type of tree produces the type of fruit. You can't get oranges from an apple tree. A wolf may disguise itself, but a tree cannot. Noxious weeds like thorns and thistles cannot produce fruit like figs or grapes. You will see the fruit in the teacher's character. Fruitfulness will come, become clear in the realm of personal character. Fruitfulness means Christ-likeness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Whenever we see Christ-like attributes in the teacher, love, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, we have a reason to believe that the teacher is true. A further fruit is the teacher's teaching. Does it follow sound doctrine and does it stand up to the word of God? One commentator writes, all doctrines must be brought to the word of God as the standard. For in judging of false prophets, the rule of faith, i.e. scripture, holds the chief place. We must bring all teaching back to the Bible. Discernment is smart. The truth is important. Sound doctrine and holy living are marks of a true prophet. Sound doctrine and holy living are marks of a true prophet. Jesus is reminding us to be vigilant. The truth really does matter. The band would like to join me at the front as I come to close here. We're all born on the broad way, the broad way that leads to destruction. There are over 8 billion people in the world, and we all have a decision to make. It is either the broad way characterized by short-term pleasures that never truly satisfy us, concluded by eternal death, or the narrow path, which has a cost, but leads our hearts to being truly satisfied in being united with Christ forever. Which one do you choose? This morning, I hope that you've chose to enter the narrow gate, the gate that leads to life. But I want to answer what is a very important question. How do we enter the narrow gate? 
We do not enter the narrow gate in our own merit or on our own merit. We are saved freely by grace through faith. This is not our doing, but a gift from God. We are to come before the Almighty God, pray. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We are to come before the Almighty God and pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to get us through the narrow gate, to give us the power that we do not have to achieve it ourselves, to help us deny ourselves and pick up our cross and come to Christ in faithful submission. What is your decision, life or death? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us despite of our sin. I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross so that through faith we can enter the narrow gate that leads to life. Help us all wholeheartedly live for your glorious gospel. Help us turn away from our fallen hearts and cling onto Christ with everything we have. Give us the discernment and wisdom in a world of disinformation to fully grasp the hope that you have called us. Not us, Lord, not us, but to you be the glory. Thank you.